Cause when all your dreams have fallen through And your plans come crashing in on you Don't lose hope no matter how it seems Cause faith will take you closer Faith will keep you safer. Faith will take you farther than your dreams. Now, on opportunities to serve. We've got this captured in the bulletin as opportunities to serve, and it is. And um, James had an opportunity to serve that he wants to just briefly come and share with you. James went on a, on a short, short mission trip to Middle Tennessee. And, uh, and he, he wants to uh, just kind of fill you all in on how that mission trip went. So, James, why don't you come up here and share with the church. Good morning, everyone. This might be a little bit short because it was um, in early December, so I don't remember everything we did. But uh, a group from the BCM, we went to... Tusculum Hills Baptist Church, also known as the church with the big blue cross. Uh, that's what we had on the flyers we were giving out, so easy to find. Um, if you guys don't know, South Nashville is actually a designated place for refugees from other countries. So that is a big part of that church's ministry. There's, I think, maybe seven different languages Um, in that church, which is pretty amazing. They have their own separate services. And also, um, there's a school type of thing that is also in the church. So that's pretty cool. Um, Let's see. We helped clean up the church. Uh, As soon as we got there, one of the first things we had to do was clean up some uh, car stuff that had been wrecked. Somebody, I don't know, did something crazy. So we helped clean that up. Um, Did some stuff around the church. Um, We made 3,000 bags with uh, a flyer and, like, an invitation to the Christmas service and mints. And it took a very long time. We had a whole setup going. Uh, We had wooden swords across chairs to hang up the bags on. It was crazy. Um, so that was fun. Um, we also went to a retirement home, and we did a short service for them and sang for them. That was fun. And then that evening, um, some kids came to the church, and we helped serve them and feed them pizza and hang out with them. So we got both sides of the spectrum of age in the same day. So it was pretty fun. Um, glad to tell you guys about it. All right. Amen. Amen. Well, and serving, serving in the kingdom, I mean, of course, the BCM uh, being an extension of, of Tennessee Baptist missions and even Beulah Baptist missions and this church, um, it's, it's good to celebrate the work that the Lord is doing uh, among us. And, uh, and so, James, thank you for your faithfulness and, and serving the Lord. And, uh, and, and, and just to, as we go through the stewardship series uh, here at this church, uh, opportunities abound. Um, and they, though we may not even know what they are right now, there's opportunities to serve the Lord. And you have uniquely been gifted by God to serve. 
And, uh, and, and this church wants to partner with you to make that possible. And, uh, and so we're prayerful. We're prayerful right now what the Lord is doing here and, um, and what that means for the kingdom. Uh, it's all for his glory. It's all for his benefit and for the gospel's sake. And so um, it's just a privilege to be able to serve. And uh, so, James, thank you for that. Can you believe that somebody in the church did something crazy? I thought about that when you said that. It's just, uh, I, I didn't think that ever happened in the church, but, uh, but you confirmed it for me, James, so thank you for, for doing that. Um, anyway, it happens. But anyway, let's pray. Let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to bless our service today, and, uh, and, uh, and then we'll continue with more worship through the, through the music. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning. Thank you for this day. Father, you have ordained it. You have uh, commissioned it for us to serve. Uh, Father, that's, um, that's a tall order in a world today that, uh, that we have been given this privilege to serve you, to serve the kingdom, uh, to advance your gospel, your message to the world of love uh, and redemption. Uh, Father, what a privilege it is to, to partner with you in this church, Father, in our community, in our jobs, in our families, and Father, to really steward the gift of, of, of service that you've given to us. Father, you've given us a portion of the kingdom here at First Baptist Church uh, Father, a kingdom that's been tucked away in our hearts so that, uh, that we can serve and that we can enlarge your kingdom. Father, we pray that the will uh, that you have uh, submitted to us, that we can find ourselves obedient to it, that we can find ourselves in your grace and your mercy, Father, serving you with gladness. Uh, Father, it, it is truly a blessing to pastor this church and, and to be called here to, to this group of believers. Uh, Father, what a blessing it is to preach the word and to, to worship and to sing alongside them and to use the, the resources through the tithes and offerings for your glory. Father, I just pray that you bless our faithfulness, that you bless the preaching of your word, uh, the, the ministry of the saints, uh, Father, that the, the gospel is advanced here in our community. Uh, Father, thank you for this time together with, uh, with, with my brothers and sisters, Father, in this hour of worship. God, I pray that, that our gift today is pleasing to you. Uh, Father, that, uh, that, that your name is exalted and that you are glorified. Father, that your word is preached and that the, the prayers of your people are heard. Uh, Father, thank you for this time together. May as we commit it to you, may it be blessed. We pray this in Jesus' name. And amen. As Brother Ben said, it is the first Sunday of the new year. And as I wrote about in the, in the Challenger, I like new beginnings. I like the opportunity we have to, for fresh starts in our life. One of the great things about the relationship that we have in faith with the Lord is the fact that he knows our every thought. He knows our every worry. He knows our every hurt, heartache, whatever it is. And this next hymn tells us we don't have to bear those burdens I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, for Jesus can help me, Jesus alone. You may not, may not know this, this great hymn of our faith, that we don't sing that often. Um, it's about 130 years old. It's a great hymn of our faith that reminds us, Jesus bears our burdens. Let's stand together as we sing. Jesus, all of my trials, I cannot bear. 
may be seated. For the, from the Word of God this morning, um, we're drawn to uh, the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4. Paul's, or rather, Peter's first epistle um, ends with these words. Uh, it's not the end of his book, but it's close. And it's an encouraging word from God this morning uh, from our brother Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, Peter says this, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, Be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, minister to it, a minister rather, it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen, church. May the word of God be read this morning in the house of God. Praise man is coming. We're going to sing together, uh, You Are My King, Amazing Love, as the guys take the offering. And then in just a moment, we'll have you to stand after, after we've taken the offering. 
uh, to finish out the chorus. So uh, Chuck's going to sing the beginning of this, and then uh, congregation join us as we sing on the chorus. you were forsaken I'm accepted you were condemned I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again amazing love how can it be that you might King would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. I'm forgiven because you were. I'm accepted, you were condemned, I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died Let's stand as we sing Amazing love, amazing love, how can it be that you might song. It's a great, uh, great reminder of, of the love of God. And um, 
Um, what a privilege it is to be able to worship him this morning. Matthew chapter 25 is where we are. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read verses 16, 17, and 18 today. We're actually going to read, um, um, this is the heart of the sermon anyway. We're actually going to read back uh, a few verses uh, to get verses 14 and 15. I know that's a curveball for you all upstairs. That's okay. Um, I'm good for curveballs. It's one of those things that I just mentioned a minute ago about um, somebody in the church doing something that kind of throws everything off. But uh, but anyway, um, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Uh, the scripture on the screen will pick up in verse 16, but I want to read the beginning part to get context to kind of re- resubmit to you what we talked about last week. We are in the parable of the talents. Uh, stewardship, kingdom stewardship, is the theme of our, ser- of our sermon series. And stewarding well is the title of today's sermon. That's a whole lot of complicated nothing. The word of God is of consequence. So let's read it together this morning. Chapter 25 of the book of Matthew, verse 24. Let's stand, or rather verse 14. Let's stand and let's read this together. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them, or traded with them, and made five other talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground, and laid, and hid, rather, his Lord's money. Let's stop here and let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning for this word. Father, bless it now as it has been read among your saints. Father, bless it for your glory. Bless it for our benefit. We pray this now in Jesus' name, and amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Now, last week, we began a discussion on kingdom stewardship. Um, We really just laid some foundational work for the stewardship series of kingdom stewardship. And I don't want to gloss over the title of the sermon series because that's what this is all about. It's about stewarding the kingdom of heaven. We laid a foundation last week about what stewardship is as it pertains to this kingdom. We mentioned things like the fact that Jesus is Lord over his kingdom, that the kingdom of heaven belongs to him, and he lords over it, Uh, as a righteous king, that all people and churches and ministries and missions and even Holy Spirit initiatives belong to God alone. Uh, In light of this, we talked about how none of the kingdom resources are ours. They belong to the Lord because it's His kingdom. We are simply just given a portion of that according to our own abilities and trusted to invest it wisely. Now that's that's the fullness of, if a summary, of the summary, if you will, of last week's message. Um, as it pertains to First Baptist Church, there are, there are some challenges in here. There are some, some, uh, some assertive points that, that we can make to bring it home for ourselves. Uh, continuing our text today, we're going to see how to do that well. How to take what God has given to us, what portion of the kingdom that God has given to us here at First Baptist Church, and how to steward that well. How to turn the kingdom, or rather the the Lord's resources, and turn it into kingdom growth. And he, he does this in verses 16, 17, and 18. He shows us anyway. How how good stewardship looks, and he also consequently shows us how 
poor stewardship looks. Uh, what, what to do and what not to do, if you will, of kingdom stewardship. Now, the first point uh, to this sermon series, that the, the first point to this sermon today, rather, is about how stewardship is done well. Verses 16 and 17. He who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made five other talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. Now, these two verses capture how stewardship is done well. Uh, with the premise of last week's understanding about how it's the kingdom of God and it belongs to him and all of his resources are his, etc. He, he gave a, a certain level of, of trust to each of these servants. Which brings us to our first point. Stewarding. If we're going to steward, if we're going to invest in the kingdom of heaven, it involves first and foremost stewarding God's trust. Now, that is the key point to stewarding well. Because of all the things that God has given to us, of all the, the stuff, all the money, all the buildings, all the people, all the programs, etc., when we boil all of that down in stewardship, nothing is bigger in the kingdom of heaven to steward than God's trust. He's given to us a portion of himself in this investment. His trust is the most important thing you or I could possibly steward. It's the most important thing that we have been given. It's more important than money. It's more valuable than buildings and projects and ministries and even people. The trust that God has given to us is an extension of himself in kingdom work. Because as we're going to get to later, that unless God builds the house, the people who labor build in vain. But God's trust is earned. And that's what this stewardship uh, message, this parable is about. It's about how God gives to us, he, he grants to us, in verse 14, he gives us a measure of talent. Verse 15, 5, 2, and 1, according to our own ability. If his trust is stewarded well, the point to this parable is that he will trust you with more. Amen? Are y'all with me this morning? Okay. I'm just wondering. I'm just... You just go awful quiet, and you just look like, you know, you look like you're a little, 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 little uh, everything okay? Do, do I need to go into counselor mode this morning, or do I, do, uh, is, do we need to talk, or what's the deal? Y'all okay? All right. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to sit here and spit and, and, and rant and rave and, and, and all that if it's, it's all in vain. I want you to receive it as well. Amen. That's the point to preaching. It's not just the preaching of it, but the receiving too. Amen? All right, good. I just wanted to make sure that you're here. That, that's the whole point of stewardship, is that if God trusts us with this small measure, then he's going to be inclined to trust us with more. Now, as we mentioned last week, so many people in the kingdom today get that backwards. They want God to give them more, and they're not, they're not stewarding what they've already been given to begin with. 
They want more people. They want more money. They want bigger projects. They want bigger ministries. They want bigger uh, reputations. They want all this stuff, and they've not done what was right with what they've been given to begin with. So that model is, is we have to get that right first because if we steward it poorly, the opposite is also true. Amen? It's true that if you steward something poorly, God's certainly not going to give you more. In fact, what he'll do is at the end of this peril, he'll take it away from you and give it to somebody who's actually going to do something with it. Now, that's really the ultimate warning of this parable. The, 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 the causality of stewarding poorly is that God will also take that away. But understand in this first point, nothing that God could give us will outweigh or require us to outsteward his trust. Therefore, we must, as Christians, as, as people, as a church, as a ministry, as an extension of the kingdom, we must earn it wisely. We should never, ever take God's trust for granted. We are to be mindful that it's the Lord's trust And that we have only been given, not necessarily money, or responsibility, or ministry, or people, or even time. We've been given a portion of God himself, who he has found worthy to trust. I mean, consider that. I know in my life, there's been moments when people have trusted me with certain things. And it's a great honor in that capacity to be trusted with certain things. But it it does not even approach, doesn't even come close to being found worthy of the Lord to steward a part of his kingdom. In fact, it overwhelms me sometimes with responsibility and accountability. When I think of, when I consider the fact that God has trusted me with this pastorate, with you all, with this building, with the resources and the ministry and the future of it. When I think of that, when I think of all of those things, it's not those things that overwhelm me. It's the fact that God trusts me to take care of it. That's where the responsibility dwells. And stewardship is measured in this way. To the second point, stewarding God's trust involves being diligent. Once we've earned God's trust, we must work to keep it. In our text today, diligence is measured in three words. Look back down at your Bibles in verse 16. He who had received the five talents went. There's your first word. And then he traded. And then he made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received Two gained two more. So the words here in the metrics of of, of measuring or weighing gain is went, made, and gained. These are words that capture yield. They are words that capture profit. But understand that these are not inaction words. They are action words. One cannot yield profit without action. The problem in this capacity, or at least in our modern ecclesiology, is that most of modern Christianity is passive. It's, very, it's a very passive consumption rather than an active participation. Much of it. Not all of it, but much of it. And it's our understanding that gets that attention. We have a, a, a kind of a misguided understanding in the modern church 
that stewarding, you and me, me, we stewarding what God has given to us means actually doing something. I mean, consider how much of our modern ecclesiology, how much of our worship is passive. Consider how much of our giving is passive. Consider how much of our ministry is passive. Consider how much of our missions is passive. Because stewardship in all of these areas involves movement. It involves action, right? It involves going. It involves doing, and it involves being. It involves making. It involves building, and it involves growth. It involves gain and profit and fruit. Kingdom stewardship is not idle. It's not passive. Um, uh, and, and as the, the metrics and the, t- 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 the statistics of our day bear, is that much of it is passive. It's, I'm going to come, and I'm going to sit, and I'm going to listen, and then I'm going to leave, and I'll never ever consider it again until the next time we meet. Very little of it. That, that's most of it right there. Um, we are good hearers of the word, but we are, not, we are poor doers of the word. That's passive Christianity. Or at least, it's, at least it's practice. At least it's stewardship. Kingdom stewardship is not idle. It's not stagnant. It's not static. Diligence is what is needful in kingdom stewardship. Hard work. If I can take the word diligence and replace it with another one, I'd replace it with that. Because that's what it is. Diligence is hard work. And hard work is what the kingdom requires. In this parable, God's people, in the example of the, the two servants who received profit or turned their investment into profit, it, 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 it calls for us. It makes us incumbent upon to reflect of our own diligence. Christians are supposed to be industrious. They're supposed to be creative intuitive and shrewd because God's resources are to be stewarded with intentionality and precision and purpose. And often this approach takes hard work. And this is why many Christians are uninterested because it's hard work. Ministry is hard work, which is why there's such a high rate of burnout in the pastorate, which is why there's so few who are even interested in serving the church in any kind of elder or deacon position. Because it's hard work, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually and mentally. It's difficult work because it requires all of our being. But if God's resources are to be stewarded in such a way, then we have to be mindful of these verses of Scripture that remind us to guard against burnout. Paul, rather, in the, Thess- in the, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, when, when cautioning the Christians from burnout, said this, Do not grow weary in doing good. To the Galatian Christians, he said something similar, but added a, a caveat to it. He said, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose Heart. Why did he say those words if he didn't already know that kingdom work involved diligence? Well, because he knew that is why he said these words. These words are designed to guard the believer against the labor that kingdom stewardship involves. 
That's the truth of it. I don't know how many people I talk to in the ministry today who are just flat burned out. And the reason for that is, is because a small percentage of people who do are the only ones who do. But else just sits back and doesn't participate. And those that do work are usually worked to death. Amen? They're overworked in many ways. There's too much responsibility put on them because the body of Christ was not meant to operate with 20% of it functioning. It was designed to work with 100% of it functioning to the glory of God. Because God has given everybody a gift in the church to administer. To, as even Peter said this morning in our text, to work out. And if we do that rightly, we are stewarding our gifts to the kingdom. If our own physical bodies, if your body physically was only operating at 20%, you'd be in somebody's office somewhere getting some help. A doctor's office or something. Psychiatric care. I don't know. You'd be somewhere getting help because you say, Doctor, I don't feel good. I'm sick. I need help. But yet in the kingdom of God, when only 20% works, we look at that as a good thing. It's like, wow, okay, well, I can just slide back over here in the corner and sit down. Sitting down is the most comfortable position, amen? And I can just sit here and watch everybody else do it. And I can pull my phone out and occupy myself. But that's not the kingdom of God. That's not stewardship. Stewardship involves diligence. It also, to our third point here, yields a return on investment. I have never worked hard in my life where I didn't yield some kind of fruit. I have always, and this is a true, this is a principle that is true every single time. Hard work always yields a return. Even if it's just from the lessons we learned from working hard, or the integrity that it builds, or the conditioning that it brings to our bodies and our minds. No work that is committed to the Lord ever yields fruitlessness. God always blesses his work in the kingdom. In fact, many scriptures come to mind that bear this out. Paul, in the first Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, reminds the Corinthians, Who is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You see that work? You see that pattern? You see that, 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 that formula? Paul was diligent. So was Apollos. But it was God who turned around and gave the increase. Now let me let you give me a sneak peek into the way I work in the ministry. And the way I think and the way I work and behave and, and function and all of those kinds of things. My job here as the pastor is not to give the increase. My job is to plant or water, or to sow seeds, or to preach the word, or to teach the word, or to guide the church in vision. Those are my jobs according to scripture. It's God who builds the increase. If you're looking for me to build that increase, you're looking to the wrong person. Because kingdom stewardship means that God has entrusted me with a certain talent, and I've got to do that well. If you want increase to happen, then you should do your part well too. And let God bless that. Because no seed that was ever planted in the dirt in a garden that was left unhindered or untended to 
is actually going to yield fruit. It's going to get overtaken with weeds. It's going to die from dehydration. It's going to die in some capacity like that. God is the one who builds his church. First, or Psalm 127, 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. God never lets those whom he has called to the mission labor in vain. Never. He always blesses their work. Because he's in the midst of them. Giving them both the power and the work to yield a harvest. By the grace of God, you, or I, you and I rather are only in God's field because he's called us to it. He's called us to the harvest, to plant, to water, to weed, to do something. But he is in the midst of this garden. And he is the one that gives the increase. What a privilege. What a privilege to labor in the king's garden. What a, key, what a privilege it is to be part of this, this project of kingdom growth. And in the case of our parable today, the one who was trusted with five talents doubled his Lord's money. Same was the case with the one that was trusted with two. But in the one that was trusted with one, he gives to us the second half of our stewardship today. And this is going to go a little faster. I promise. I pr- and I have to confess, I did not make a, a New Year's resolution to pe- preach shorter sermons. <sighs> I know. I know you were hoping for it. Not, not in 2024. I don't see it coming anyway. But stewardship done poorly is captured by the third servant. Stewardship done poorly is showcased, first of all, by fear. But, but specifically how fear produces unfaithfulness in stewardship. We know from the latter half of this, and we haven't gotten there yet. We'll get to more of this later on. But we know from the latter half of this parable that the reason he hid his money or the Lord's money in the ground was because he was afraid. He was fearful. And this is, this is, this is true for us too. And before we throw stones at this third servant, this third servant, let us first examine ourselves. That we are not poorly investing in this, the kingdom because of fear. Fear was his motivator. While the other two were motivated to please their Lord, this one was motivated by fear. He was afraid to lose the money that was given to him. So the best thing he did to knew to, that the best thing he knew to do with it was to bury it. Burying it, he thought, was the most certain way to not suffer loss. Now, if you know anything about economics and if you know anything about business, the folly of this belief is that even time itself erodes the worth of stewarded trust. Just time alone devalues money. And so when we think about burying our money, when we think about, when we think about taking the Lord's money and, or resources or kingdom uh, talent and, 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 and hiding it away, we have to be very careful to not buy into the folly that says this is safe. That as long as it's tucked away, that as long as it's, it's passively sitting somewhere, that it's actually doing something. That's a wrong kingdom mindset. Because the money, that, the money that was stewarded had to be used, not buried. 
many cases, time wastes away the resources that have been given to us. We're only given a certain amount of it, by the way. Time itself is a stewarded kingdom talent. It's a resource. And if we do nothing with the time we've been given, it will waste away. And in the end, what do we have to profit? What do we have to show for our fear? Because fear is what caused this servant to be faithless. He was given. Listen, he was given the same amount of trust as the other two were. Now, he wasn't given more than them, but he was given trust nonetheless. The same amount of trust he was given. And fear caused him to handle it poorly. Understand that the point to this is that fear always produces faithlessness. If we are more afraid of what we will do with what God has stewarded with us than we are afraid of what he will do when he returns, we are acting in faithlessness. Because God gives us, he trusts us with a certain part of his kingdom that we are to do something with, which first requires faith. It requires trusting that the Lord will be pleased with how we handled his resources. But if fear predicates our motives, faithlessness abounds. And we know from the writer of Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can have a a church full of 10,000 people, but if there's no faith present, none of it pleases the Lord. You can have millions of dollars, but if it's without faith, then none of it pleases God. If, if you, you can have everything in the world, all the popularity, all, the, all the, 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 the likes on Facebook, you can have whatever you want. But if it's without faith, it doesn't please God. In fact, all we do in those scenarios is we sit around and wring our hands in fear of what might happen if we lose it all. Rather than investing it in the kingdom. The second point, unfaithlessness or faithlessness or unfaithfulness, whichever one you want to use, produces a neglect of duty. If we are fearful and we are faithless in our capacities to steward, then we will neglect our duty. When we are not stewarding what God has trusted us with, we are not busy about kingdom work, guess what we are? Bored. And if we're bored, we're idle. And if we're idle, we're unproductive. And I would argue that most of modern Christianity, at least American Christianity, falls into this category. In fact, many of the problems that we deal with in our churches today are a result, hear me, of boredom. We're inventing things in our churches today for stimulation. Because we have mistaken that kind of work with kingdom stewardship. We've mistaken, we've, we've, we've fumbled the, 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 the trust that God has given to us. We just bored ourselves to death. We're not busy about the word. We're not busy about kingdom growth. We're idle, unproductive. And what did, I mean, this begs to question, what did the other servant, what did this servant do while the other two worked? Well, what was he doing? He's on his phone playing Candy Crush. I, mean, I don't know. What, what was he doing with his time? 
scouring social media, bored to death, watching TikTok videos. What was he doing? I mean, you have to ask that question. As they were all out doubling the Lord's money, what on earth did he exert his energy doing? We know from the scriptures that the only energy that he exerted was by digging a hole. He dug in the dirt. That's all he did. That's all he did. Played in the dirt and buried his Lord's money. I mean, what, what did he think during all of this idle time? I mean, if nothing else, he had time to think. What did he think was going to happen when the Lord came back? What, did he, what could he possibly have imagined in all of that idolatry that, that he was going to do when the Lord returned and was standing right before him and said, What would you do with my money? What was his answer? Now, I, I imagine in, in the context of our, our scripture today that every Christian and every pastor and every church is going to have to answer that same question when the Lord returns. What have you been doing? Not just with my money, but my goodness, with your time. What have you done? While everybody else was out serving and working and laboring and they were diligent, you were slothful, lazy, and self-indulgent. Of course he was. This is what unfaithfulness produces. Slothful, lazy, and self-indulgent servants. Ones who are usually concerned only about leisure and comfortability and pleasure. That's why we build ivory towers whose top can reach the heaven. And we sit in those ivory towers and we look down on the rest of Christendom, thankful that we are not like them. To our shame, because diligence requires faithfulness. Thirdly, the neglect of duty produces lost opportunities. Servants who conduct themselves in such ways lose so many opportunities. They're the ones who look around and they're quick to point fingers at what others are doing, usually quick to criticize or mock or deride them in jealousy. This is a big problem in our churches today. And this is not some problem that exists in some other state. It exists right here in our own hometown. Kingdom work being built out of criticism and mockery and jealousy. Saints of God who are bored. Servants of God who have been given something and out of, out of jealousy would rather look around and point fingers, criticize and accuse. While everyone else works, they sit back in their idleness and cast stones. They're the same ones who think they know better and have been given some holy mission to somehow be supervisors of God's kingdom rather than servants. That's a serious problem in our kingdom today. We've got too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Amen? Am I alone on that one? Okay. And I don't mean to offer this in criticism. This is a reflection of the parable. This is certainly not for necessarily for us. This is for the entire kingdom. I mean, we have to consider this. We have to reflect on the fact that we need... In the kingdom, there's one Lord. One, 
Lord. And his name is not Ben Lounsdale. And it's, it, and it's, certainly, it, it's certainly not the president of the TBMB or the president of the convention, Bart Barber. It's certainly none of those guys. And it's certainly not you either. His name is Jesus. And he is a jealous God. And he is not willing to share his glory with another. And so if we're working to build our kingdoms within the kingdom of God, we're going to labor in, in, a, in a very futile situation. We need servants. The king needs servants. We are not supervisors of kingdom work. Nowhere in this passage, nowhere in this parable do you find the word supervisor. You find the word servant. In this case, this servant hid the Lord's money. Do you know what he could have done? As I mentioned last week, a talent was about 20 years wage for a laborer. What, he, what, what could he have done with that kind of money? What kind of return could he have yielded if he had only went, made, and gained? But no, he had to hide and run and flee. Now, for the sake of our church, our challenge, considering this is, is, is worthwhile because stewardship done rightly and stewardship done poorly, is, it has to be a reflection. It, it has to be at some point. The rubber at least has to meet the road for FBC. How can FBC Union City steward God's trust? Not the money in the bank. Not, not, not one another. Not the building. I mean, my goodness, th- those enough are a mouthful to bite off. I'm talking about how can we steward the trust that God has given to us. When we reflect on our own capacities. Where in the kingdom is this applicable? I'm grateful that I'm here, to be honest with you, because I feel like in many ways I'm preaching to the choir. Let me say that. I do feel like I'm preaching to the choir. You all have been nothing but responsive, and you all have been nothing but selfless, and you have worked, and you have labored, and you have, tr- you have taken that trust that God has given to you. you. You are aware of it, and you are taking that, and you are stewarding that well. But how can we do that better? What can we do in knowing that God has trusted us here at First Baptist Church? How can we take this and steward it well? I mean, I know certainly how I can do that in my capacity. And I know certainly that I don't want to take that lightly. I I don't want to stand at the judgment, for example. And the Lord asks me, Brother Ben, actually he won't call me Brother Ben, whatever, You, you, you know what I mean. That was rhetorical. What did you do with my trust? I gave you a measure of pastoral leadership. I gave you a message or rather a a word to steward. What did you do with it? I want to be able to stand before the Lord in a clear conscience. So I practice the art of going before the Lord every night and laying my head down on my pillow with a clear conscience before God. Knowing that that day that I was diligent, that I was vigilant about the Lord's work, that I was careful about the word, that I was intentional about kingdom growth, that, I, that what I did 
prepares me to stand before the Lord in judgment. Because I don't want to take his trust lightly. I don't want to leave anything on the table if God has given us an opportunity to steward that. And I certainly don't want him to be disappointed in me, and I don't want him to be disappointed at First Baptist Church. This is a, this is a major opportunity that God has given to us, his trust. This church has been through enough. It, it, it's, it's been given enough insight and warnings about what could happen. So we should take that, and we should double the investment that the Lord has given to us. Secondly, how can FBC UC be diligent? What kind of work can we do for the Lord? And presently, praise the Lord. To His grace and to His glory, we're engaged in mobile pantries and backpack programs. We have a daycare. Let me remind you that we have a daycare that meets over here. That is a stewarded gift of the kingdom to this church. We have worship services. I'm thankful to be able to serve alongside a man who has a, a, a very similar vision of mine when it comes to the Lord's day. That it belongs to him. And that all things in, in, in worship, whether it's a song or a, a video or a prayer or a dollar or the word, is stewarded well. That when we meet, the fellowship of the people resounds. That everyone's welcome. That everyone feels loved. And that everyone knows that the Spirit of God is among us, working diligently with us. But what can we do? According to our ability. Don't don't miss that. According to our ability, what can we do that will magnify the kingdom and glorify God more? How else? What areas of church ministry need help? There are opportunities for growth. How can we encourage one another to not grow weary in doing good? How can we exercise our faith in a way that makes us productive and profitable? And then thirdly, how can our church yield a return on investment? I'm not a money man, really. I hope that doesn't, isn't a deal breaker for some of you folks. Mandy keeps the checkbook in our house. It's okay. I'm okay with that. Because if it's the alternative, we usually spend 30 minutes afterwards trying to find out where five cents went. Just, I'm not an investment guy. I don't know numbers well. I, I've, I've embarrassed myself enough in this world to know that, that numbers for me really need to just be confined to chapters and verses. But I do know that when done properly, when investments are made rightly, they yield returns on investment. My question for this church is what is our goal? What do we want to see happen here to the glory of God? What is it we want to accomplish in the grace of God? How can we yield fruit of the kingdom in this town, in the houses that line this, these roads around this church, in the community, in the county, even in our state? What does a return on investment look like for our church? Furthermore, what return would be pleasing 
to God. I, I don't personally care about praise and adoration and accolades. And I don't personally care about those things. But I want God to be proud of what we're doing here. So that people will look at this church and glorify God in heaven. Not slap me on the back. Not slap you on the back. Glorify the Lord in heaven. Because let us never forget that faithfulness is what pleases God. This is my prayer for this church. Always has been that this church will be known by the Lord and by its community as a faithful church. There's a word of caution in here, though, that we don't take what God has given to us and bury it in the dirt out of fear. But that we embrace every single opportunity as a privilege of stewarding what the Lord has blessed us with, this, blessed us here with at this church. And in return, may he be glorified and preeminent. Amen, church? Let's pray this morning. Father, we're grateful this morning for this word. Father, I thank you for each person that that labored this morning in this word. Father, whether through the preaching or through the hearing of it. Father, may we now be doers of it. Father, may we be faithfully committed to the kingdom work that's taking place here at this church. Father, as we partner with our sister churches in this city, in this county, Father, may we do so with our Tennessee Baptist brothers and sisters and of Southern Baptist brothers and sisters. May May we steward what you've given to us well. Father, may we be faithful. May we be diligent about the work that you've given to us. Father, not growing weary or grumbling or being jealous of other ministries, but Father, being content that you are among us working and that we have an opportunity to serve. Father, thank you for so great a privilege in this kingdom. Father, what a privilege it is to serve you. Father, I just pray now that as we are obedient to that, whatever the cause, whatever the case may be, Father, that you are glorified. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. And amen.